Section 20 of Selected Interviews with Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Interviewer's Questions, read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Ingersoll's Responses, read by Christine G. Interview Title, Woman's Right to Divorce. Printed in the New York World, 1888. Colonel Robert G. Ingersoll, the great agnostic, has always been an ardent defender of the sanctity of the home and of the marriage relation. Apropos of the horrible account of a man's tearing out the eyes of his wife at Far Rockaway last week, Colonel Ingersoll was asked what recourse the woman had under such circumstances. His answer. I read the account, and I don't remember of ever having read anything more perfectly horrible and cruel. It is impossible for me to imagine such a monster, or to account for such an inhuman human being. How a man could deprive a human being of sight, except where some religious question is involved, is beyond my comprehension. We know that for many centuries frightful punishments were inflicted, and inflicted by the pious, by the theologians, by the spiritual-minded, and by those who love their neighbours as themselves. We read the accounts of how the lids of men's eyes were cut off, and then the poor victims tied where the sun would shine upon their lifeless orbs, of others who were buried alive, of others staked out on the sands of the sea, to be drowned by the rising tide, of others put in sacks filled with snakes. Yet these things appeared far away, and we flattered ourselves that, to a great degree, the world had outgrown these atrocities. And now, here, near the close of the nineteenth century, we find a man, a husband, cruel enough to put out the eyes of the woman he swore to love, protect, and cherish. This man has probably been taught that there is forgiveness for every crime, and now imagines that when he repents there will be more joy in heaven over him than over ninety and nine good and loving husbands, who have treated their wives in the best possible manner, and who, instead of tearing out their eyes, have filled their lives with content, and covered their faces with kisses. You told me last week, in a general way, what society should do with the husband in such a case as that. I would like to ask you today what you think society ought to do with the wife in such a case, or what ought the wife to be permitted to do for herself. When we take into consideration the crime of the man who blinded his wife, it is impossible not to think of the right of divorce. Many people insist that marriage is an indissoluble tie that nothing can break it, and that nothing can release either party from the bond. Now, take this case at Far Rockaway. One year ago, the husband tore out one of his wife's eyes. Has she then good cause for divorce? Is it possible that an infinitely wise and good God would insist on this poor, helpless woman remaining with the wild beast, her husband? Can anyone imagine that such a course would add to the joy of paradise, or even tend to keep one harp in tune? Can the good of society require the woman to remain? She did remain, and the result is that the other eye has been torn from its socket by the hands of the husband. Is she entitled to a divorce now? And if she is granted one, is virtue in danger, and shall we lose the high ideal of home life? Can anything be more infamous than to endeavour to make a woman, under such circumstances, remain with such a man? It may be said that she should leave him, that they should live separate and apart that is to say, that this woman should be deprived of a home, that she should not be entitled to the love of a man, that she should remain, for the rest of her days, worse than a widow, 
that is to say, a wife, hiding, keeping out of the way, secreting herself from the hyena to whom she was married. Nothing, in my judgment, can exceed the heartlessness of a law or of a creed that would compel this woman to remain the wife of this monster. And it is not only cruel, but it is immoral, low, vulgar. The ground has been taken that woman would lose her dignity if marriages were dissolvable. Is it necessary to lose your freedom in order to retain your character, in order to be womanly or manly? Must a woman, in order to retain her womanhood, become a slave, a serf, with a wild beast for a master, or with society for a master, or with a phantom for a master? Has not the married woman the right of self-defence? Is it not the duty of society to protect her from her husband? If she owes no duty to her husband, if it is impossible for her to feel toward him any thrill of affection, what is there of marriage left? What part of the contract remains in force? She is not to live with him, because she abhors him. She is not to remain in the same house with him, for fear he may kill her. What, then, are their relations? Do they sustain any relation except that of hunter and hunted, that is, of tyrant and victim? And is it desirable that this relation should be rendered sacred by a church? Is it desirable to have families raised under such circumstances? Are we really in need of the children born of such parents? If the woman is not in fault, does society insist that her life should be wrecked? Can the virtue of others be preserved only by the destruction of her happiness, and by what might be called her perpetual imprisonment? I hope the clergy who believe in sacredness of marriage, in the indissolubility of the marriage tie, will give their opinions on this case. I believe that marriage is the most important contract that human beings can make. I always believe that a man will keep his contract, that a woman, in the highest sense, will keep hers. But suppose a man does not, is the woman still bound? Is there no mutuality? What is a contract? It is where one party promises to do something in consideration that the other party will do something. That is to say, there is a consideration on both sides, moving from one to the other. A contract without consideration is null and void, and a contract duly entered into, where the consideration of one party is withheld, is voidable, and can be avoided by the party who has kept, or who is willing to keep, the contract. A marriage without love is bad enough, but what can we say of a marriage where the parties hate each other? Is there any morality in this? Any virtue? Will any decent person say that a woman, true, good, and loving, should be compelled to live with a man she detests, compelled to be the mother of his children? Is there a woman in the world who would not shrink from this herself? And is there a woman so heartless and so immoral that she would force another to bear what she would shudderingly avoid? Let us bring these questions home. In other words, let us have some sense, some feeling, some heart, and just a little brain. Marriages are made by men and women. They are not made by the state, and they are not made by the gods. By this time people should learn that human happiness is the foundation of virtue, the foundation of morality. Nothing is moral that does not tend to the well-being of sentient beings. Nothing is virtuous, the result of which is not a human good. The world has always been living for phantoms, for ghosts, for monsters begotten by ignorance and fear. The world should learn to live for itself. Man should, by this time, be convinced that all the reasons for doing right, and all the reasons for doing wrong, are right here in this world, all within the horizon of this life. And besides, we should have imagination to put ourselves in the place of another. 
Let a man suppose himself a helpless wife, beaten by a brute, who believes in the indissolubility of marriage. Would he want a divorce? I suppose that very few people have an adequate idea of the sufferings of women and children, of the number of wives who tremble when they hear the footsteps of a returning husband, of the number of children who hide when they hear the voice of a father. Very few people know the number of blows that fall on the flesh of the helpless every day. Few know the nights of terror passed by mothers holding young children at their breasts. Compared with this, the hardship of poverty, borne by those who love each other, are nothing. Men and women, truly married, bear the sufferings of poverty. They console each other, their affection gives to the heart of each perpetual sunshine. But think of the others. I have said a thousand times that the home is a unit of good government. When we have kind fathers and loving mothers, then we shall have civilized nations, and not until then. Civilization commences at the hearthstone, when intelligence rocks the cradle, when the house is filled with philosophy and kindness, you will see a world at peace. Justice will sit in the courts, wisdom in the legislative halls, and over all, like the dome of heaven, will be the spirit of liberty. What is your idea with regard to divorce? My idea is this. As I said before, marriage is the most sacred contract, the most important contract, that human beings can make. As a rule, the woman dowers her husband with her youth, with all she has. From this contract the husband should never be released, unless the wife has broken a condition, that is to say, has failed to fulfil the contract of marriage. On the other hand, the woman should be allowed a divorce for the asking. This should be granted in public, precisely as the marriage should be in public. Every marriage should be known. There should be witnesses, to the end that the character of the contract entered into should be understood. And as all marriage records should be kept, so the divorce should be open, public and known. The property should be divided by a court of equity, under certain regulations of law. If there are children, they should be provided for through the property, and the parents. People should understand that men and women are not virtuous by law. They should comprehend the fact that law does not create virtue, that law is not the foundation, the fountain of love. They should understand that love is in the human heart, and that real love is virtuous. People who love each other will be true to each other. The death of love is the commencement of a vice. Besides this, there is a public opinion that has great weight. When that public opinion is right, it does a vast amount of good, and when wrong, a great amount of harm. People marry, or should marry, because it increases the happiness of each and all. But where the marriage turns out to have been a mistake, and where the result is misery and not happiness, the quicker they are divorced the better, not only for themselves, but for the community at large. These arguments are generally answered by some donkey braying about free love, and by free love he means a condition of society in which there is no love. The persons who make this cry are, in all probability, incapable of the sentiment, of the feeling known as love. They judge others by themselves, and they imagine that without law there would be no restraint. What do they say of natural modesty? Do they forget that people have a choice? Do they not understand something of the human heart, and that true love has always been as pure as the morning star? Do they believe that by forcing people to remain together who despise each other they are adding to the purity of the marriage relation? Do they not know that all marriage is an outward act, testifying to that which has happened in the heart. Still, I always believe that words are wasted on such people. 
It is useless to talk to anybody about music who is unable to distinguish one tune from another. It is useless to argue with a man who regards his wife as his property, and it is hardly worth while to suggest anything to a gentleman who imagines that society is so constructed that it really requires, for the protection of itself, that the lives of good and noble women should be wrecked. I am a believer in the virtue of women, in the honesty of man. The average woman is virtuous, the average man is honest, and the history of the world shows it. If it were not so, society would be impossible. I don't mean by this that most men are perfect, but what I mean is this, that there is far more good than evil in the average human being, and that the natural tendency of most people is toward the good and toward the right. And I most passionately deny that a good of society demands that any good person should suffer. I do not regard government as a juggernaut, the wheels of which must, of necessity, roll over and crush the virtues, the self-denying and the good. My doctrine is the exact opposite of what is known as free love. I believe in the marriage of true minds and of true hearts. But I believe that thousands of people are married who do not love each other. That is the misfortune of our century. Other things are taken into consideration. Position, wealth, title, and the thousand things that have nothing to do with real affection. Where men and women truly love each other, that love, in my judgment, lasts as long as life. The greatest line that I know of in the poetry of the world is in the hundred and sixteenth sonnet of Shakespeare. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds. Why do you make such a distinction between the rights of man and the rights of women? The woman has, as her capital, her youth, her beauty. We will say that she is married at twenty or twenty-five. In a few years she has lost her beauty. During these years the man, so far as capacity to make money is concerned, to do something, has grown better and better. That is to say, his chances have improved, hers have diminished. She has dowered him with the spring of her life, and as her life advances, her chances decrease. Consequently, I would give her the advantage, and I would not compel her to remain with him against her will. It seems to me far worse to be a wife upon compulsion than to be a husband upon compulsion. Besides this, I have a feeling of infinite tenderness toward mothers. The woman that bears children certainly should not be compelled to live with a man whom she despises. The suffering is enough when the father of the child is to her the one man of all the world. Many people, who have a mechanical apparatus in their breasts that assist in the circulation of what they call blood, regard these views as sentimental. But when you take sentiment out of the world, nothing is left worth living for, and when you get sentiment out of the heart, it is nothing more or less than a pump, an old piece of rubber that has acquired a habit of contracting and dilating. But I have this consolation. The people that do not agree with me are those who do not understand me. This ends our interview, Woman's Right to Divorce.